If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is Mind Medicine on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Charles Coves. Of course, I'm your host. I'm in Melbourne where it's 7 o'clock on a Sunday evening. So if you're watching live, that's what it is. It's 6 p.m. in the Gold Coast, the home of TNT Radio. It's, um, I reckon, midnight on Saturday night in Los Angeles. So everyone's driving home on um, having had a great party. And then it's 8 a.m. Uh, in the UK, 9 a.m. Sunday in Budapest, where my parents came from many years ago. It's great to be with you in this show, which which is all about mental health and health. And my guest today is Beverly Pinder, OAM. I'll explain to you what OAM stands for. Beverly is a businesswoman, philanthropist. I will introduce her shortly. This show is all about how and why your mind matters and how to keep it in great shape. Your mind is what's going to determine your experience of life. We're going to talk about, in this show each week, we talk about ideas to provoke new ways about thinking about life and your life in particular. We discuss insights into mental health issues and health issues and to that end, we're delighted to bring this show to you in conjunction with Mind Medicine Australia that was founded five years ago. The fifth anniversary of that organisation is coming up, the, the big party in a couple of weeks to which I've been invited. Tanya De Jong AM and Peter Hunt AM. They're both Australia Government Awards, as is Beverly Pinder's award. And Mind Medicine Australia has been working and success succeeded in getting legalized in Australia psychedelic drugs, particularly psilocybin and MDMA. And this is a big breakthrough. Australia is a leader in this space now. And it's a great credit to Tanya and Peter's work. It took four years of lobbying. You know, the medical fraternity doesn't want people having psychedelic drugs because they want them to be on useless uh, pharmaceutical drugs rather than really giving them materials that work brilliantly. And so the the uh, the pre- the difficulty of getting the psychedelic drugs approved in Australia was certainly high, and the TGA made it difficult. And talking about the TGA, I'm appalled that the former head of the TGA, John Skerritt, having regulated, having been the sheriff, if you like, on the beat, regulating the behaviour of pharmaceutical companies, and then giving Mind Medicine a tough time. It, he then, when he retires from the Therapeutic Goods Administration, he has taken a gig as a director of Medicines Australia, the pharmaceutical lobby company. So essentially, he's be, he's gone from being a sheriff to joining the bikey gangs that the sheriff was regulating. It is outrageous. In any event, what's more important than your health? I say nothing. And my definition of health for your contemplation is that health is the unique optimal balance for you of mental physical and spiritual elements. We talk about passion here when Beverly Pinder is a passionate woman and we explore with each of my guests what they're passionate about. And let me tell you that when you are passionate, your mental health problems significantly reduce. So it's this interface between your mind health and then passion, which comes from your soul. 
And the balance between mind and soul or spirit is crucial in terms of your enjoyment of life. Now, before I introduce Beverly to you formally, informally, <laughs> with a lovely short bio, I want to raise a couple of matters. Yesterday, I was on the phone for an hour to a cattle rancher. Isn't technology amazing? So we had a half-hour conversation with a with a wonderful man called Shad Sullivan, and he was driving from Colorado to Texas to his ranch, and I was driving from Melbourne down to Phillip Island. And there we were talking on this, this amazing experience, and we were talking about the attacks on the food supply, attacks on freedom, this idea that farting cows are going to change the climate is so ridiculous and absurd and that we should stop eating meat and replace it with bugs is so absurd. I want all of you to laugh at it and I will be working with Shad Sullivan to shine a light on this attack on food supplies globally. You've heard what's happened to the Dutch farmers. They've been demonstrating, the Italian German farmers have been demonstrating, Australian farmers are starting to understand the threats to their productivity. Now, in the Australian yesterday, there's a great article, I can hold it up, I know, and it was from Deborah Glass, the retiring ombudsman in Victoria. And the ombudsman is designed to hold government to account in terms of following the rules. Well, she has absolutely tipped a bucket on the former Premier Daniel Andrews. I've Every show I tip a bucket on Daniel Andrews. And Daniel Andrews does not like being held to account. And I urge all of us to understand the need to hold all politicians, current or retired. Because if we don't hold retiring politicians to account, guess what happens? The current ones, they think they can get away and do whatever they like. I'm appalled at the attacks on human freedom, on taking away of our inalienable rights in Victoria and Australia, and people like Daniel Andrews must be held to account, even though they've gone out of politics. I say that Daniel Andrews committed perjury numerous occasions when he was under oath. He has committed crimes in office, and what that means, if he's convicted of them, he will lose his retirement benefits. And I want us to to politicians to understand they can't go away scot-free and then they live a beautiful life for the rest of their days while we are suffering with debt in Victoria that far outweighs any other state and per capita highest debt levels. It's extraordinary. So um, the other issue I wanted to talk about was the problem of pedophiles. Jared Henderson in The Australian also last week wrote an article on that Sound of Freedom. Just uh, sorry, we got a bit of um, Sound of Freedom. Wonderful movie by t about Tim Ballard, and I'm the information that we now have of the of a level of child trafficking globally. Keith Bulfin was my guest a few weeks ago. We have to stop this ill treatment of children. And there's a new documentary coming out. I'll, I'll talk about that on the March the seventeenth, which happens to be St Patrick's Day. Shine a light on it. Speak up about pedophilia. We need to protect our children. That's the future of Australia. That's the future of the planet. All right. Spread the TNT news. Thank you for being with us. This station does not have political, political correctness. It does not have censorship. It does not have wokeness. I'm allowed to discuss and our guests are allowed to discuss whatever they wish 
to discuss. And this is the place where you've got a chance of getting truth, chance of getting uncensored information. I urge you to choose to be happy. You know, we've got all these problems going on in life, and Beverly Pinder is a woman who has helped people become, you know, to, to understand that. And you can be happy in the midst of the challenges that we're facing. You can contact me by email, charles at covest.com. If you've got any any questions, you can go to the chat, ask me any questions while we've got the show on. And then you can also see my Charles Covest show on YouTube or Rumble. All right. My guest today, a wonderful, wonderful lady, Beverly Pinder OAM. Now, OAM is one of the four categories of awards given by the Australian government. I promise you they're tough to get. I have nominated people who have done extraordinary amounts of wonderful work who have not succeeded in getting one of these Australian government awards. They are a big deal. Well, Beverly's got one. She's a former Miss Universe Australia. She still looks as she still looks like she could still compete in Miss Universe. She's a businesswoman and philanthropist, and she's no newcomer to the field of civic duty, charity work, and the stage. She was awarded a Medal of the Order of Australia in January 2022 for service to community in a range of organisations. She's been a public relations practitioner of high repute for more than 40 years. Her own introduction to inclusion and a spirit of sharing in Australia came after she met John Stoughton, a former mayor of a local municipality here in Melbourne, a man who left an indelible mark on Beverly's on her conscience and her desire to always give back to the community from which she has reaped so much. She realised this course of duty as a two-term councillor of the City of Melbourne. Her path has been sprinkled with loads of volunteer hours, including as a mentor to international students, which she continues to do this day, despite the claiming to have been claiming to have retired. For more than five decades, she has assisted charities and not-for-profits. She's a patron of the Melbourne's Men's Shed, she was a great friend of the late father, Bob Maguire, who was also given an honour by the Australian government, subscribing to his ethos of leaving no one behind. And look at this. I'm delighted to tell you about her recent book. I went to the book launch, Pride Without Prejudice. Please welcome Beverly Pinder. Wow, Charles, how do I, what do I say? You say, hello. <laughs> hello, everyone. Look, it's well, great. what an extraordinary, what an extraordinary um, career you have had. And give us a bit of background because, because you are grateful for Australia. Why are you grateful to Australia? Give us, you know, in your book, you talk about it, but I think this is pretty important. Why is it called Pride Without Prejudice? So let me take you back to your comments, your earlier comments about John Stoughton. John Stoughton was the mayor of St Kilda um, in 1969. Uh, we arrived in Australia in 1968. I was 13 years of age. And we had, our family had uh, been through the very stringent white Australia policy to be able to get here. Um, and in that time, when we arrived, uh, my John Stoughton owned a, uh, a hardware store in St Kilda. And I didn't know he was the mayor of St Kilda. I learned this 20 years later. He offered my brother's jobs, summer jobs. I opted to go to school instead in October 1968 to Elwood High, 
um, where I met my most amazing Jewish friends still to this day. And so, and you, and you being a good, a good Catholic girl, by the way, you didn't tell us where you came from. I was born in Sri Lanka, um, of mixed heritage. So hence the, the, the ability to migrate in the sixties to, to Australia. And, um, John Stewart and I looked up at him one day and I thought, you know what, you're such a nice man. Um, I think I might like to be like you one day. This is in my mind, you know. And um, when I did get that call from Robert Doyle in, in 2012, that was, you know, I, I always thought I wanted to at some stage in my life put back into civic duty, just do civic duty. So from the age of 13, I started raising money for charities. Yep. And uh, that was with, um, you know, watching television, which was so new to us. I mean, we didn't have television in Sri Lanka or Salon, as it was then known. And um, I, I had this amazing man, Harold Blair. He was a, um, an Aboriginal uh, opera singer. And he initiated um, a venture to, to raise money for Aboriginal kids to have summer holidays at Portsea. And part of that was entering the Junior Miss Victoria competition. So there I was. I said, well, I'm going to raise some money for these kids. I fronted up at, um, at a, a hall, a very well-known hall in Melbourne called Dallas Brooks Hall. And uh, with my bag of money, $900, which was a lot of money in 1969, 70. And um, the lady at the front door said, um, what's your name? And I told her my name. She said, no, it's not here. And I said, well, um, you know, uh, I am there, Mrs. Sneddon. And she was surprised I knew her name. And I said, I've got my bag of money. She said, oh, gosh, you've got to be in the beauty section as well. <laughs> so there's this little brown-skinned girl who all she wanted to do was to raise money for Aboriginal kids, suddenly being thrust into a, a beauty competition with a lot of beautiful young Australian children, you know, youth, young 16, 15 and 16 year olds. So that was my real start, you know, and, 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 and my desire to, to, to help others and desire in community, understanding that civic duty enabled, would enable me to do that as well. Um, it just, it just kept me going for 50 odd years. And, and, and I was going to deliver that to myself. Well, and then tell us how, what it, what it means to be a councillor on the city of Melbourne. So the city of Melbourne is is the biggest uh, is the main municipality for those of you uh, those who are not in Australia. Mm. So what what sort of workload does this mean? Do you know what what's the what's is this a big deal to be a councillor on the city of Melbourne? Well, I reckon Charles, it is. Yeah, Charles. Um, you know, they say they whoever they are that you know you you, you need to give twenty hours a week. But I can tell you, uh, and if Robert was listening to this now, he'd probably say to me I was silly. I used to put in about 50 hours a week. Wow. Uh, that's on top of running a business, running a family, um, and, and actually doing the research, going out and seeing people. And uh, it was a big, it was a heavy load. But that's because I love people and I love actually doing things around our beautiful city, as everyone you know, wouldn't know whether you're here in Australia or overseas, Melbourne is an amazing city. So one of the key things that I worked on very diligently with my team was 
enabling Melbourne to be named as the most livable city in the world seven times in a row. Yeah. Did that did that happen while you were on the council? It was my it was my in my portfolio. Marketing oh, wow. Melbourne was my portfolio. Robert gave me that portfolio and he said, go, just do what you can do because I know you'll do a good job with it. And so that was one of the one of the, the areas in which I worked. And I loved I love kids so much that one of the big events here is the Melbourne Fashion Week, or it's called Spring Fashion Week now. And you know, we had one one university participating, RMIT, and I said, well, that's that's we're excluding all the other universities. We should get them on board. So it took me two years to get, you know, Box Hill, Kangan, uh, White House, all of those other schools involved in this competition. So that was, but my biggest thing, Charles, was actually realizing when Glenda Banks, the late Glenda Banks, rang me, famed journalist. You would know Glenda, who Glenda Banks is. She yep. rang me in 2012 and said, Beverly, um, I want you to do something for me. I, I want you to open up a men's shed in the city. I said, oh gosh, Glenda, I promise you, whether I get onto council or not, I will be involved in this. So I went to Robert and Robert took me to the state government and together we we said, well, okay, if you really want this and you can run with it, then we will make sure this happens. So we've got a men's shed and that's where the whole mental health things comes into play. Well, that's right. Well, give us, give us, well, in fact, what we'll do, I think, well, I want, I really want to unpack men's shed because this is mind medicine and, and what I know about men's shed um, I know a little bit about it, but I'd love to unpack it because I think it's a wonderful, wonderful charity. We've got to take these messages. You understand well what needs to happen in terms of um, advert the great the great ads that we have on TNT Radio. So we'll be back after these messages. TNT's Timothy Shea. Oh, it was a great day. The ratios, the ratios. John Kennedy, Senator John Kennedy, who we thought was MAGA, who we thought was America first who still continues to make all the right noises, then he, he does the wrong things. And the last straw was him voting with the 22 turncoats to send more tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine. Ukraine doesn't need any more money. Ukraine doesn't need any more of our support. We're the problem in Ukraine. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. The benefits of advertising on today's News Talk TNT Radio should be clear to businesses of any shape or size. It can be accessed anywhere, anytime, by anybody and is the perfect way to build brand awareness and stimulate digital activity. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. If you're still wearing a cloth or surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Great to be with you. Thank you for being here, whether you're live or watching a recording. Now, Beverly Pinder, amazing 50-plus years of civic contribution. We're talking about men's sheds. Beverly, tell us about men's shed and what it does in terms of mental health and why. Yeah, just give us the give us the rundown. Well, I love it. I love the whole concept, and my involvement is with the Melbourne Men's Shed. 
which also has an involvement with the cancer clinics men's shed in North Melbourne, which has just recently opened about a couple of years ago. So I, I guess with, with 95 members that the Melbourne men's shed has, it's about it's about that group, that those group chats, those group walks, those meetings, those an ability to listen to the to the next person. I go, I drop in and I hug everyone for a start. That's my first thing that I do. No wonder the men go. Imagine <laughs> but but and I acknowledge I'll have to them. join. <laughs> but I acknowledge them for their hard work. I mean, the executive, you know, they're there three, four days a week. So it's about talking through your your own personal situation. I mean, they had me, they invited me this time last year to talk about my own journey, um, having really couch surfed at the age of six and what that had done to me. I mean, I didn't even realize I'd couch surfed until I was preparing my my presentation to the men's shed and I thought my goodness me I actually couch surfed my family couch surfed for about 18 months as a six-year-old you know yeah so I, I really get I get loneliness I get mental um mental deficiency in respect of connectedness you know being connected I think that's what the men's shed delivers um they they get together in the in the workshop and make make uh, wooden uh, toys they refurbish furniture. There's a whole range of different things that come that that happen in a men's shed, and then there's that that discipline of meetings. They come, they they dine, they they chat, and they have a coffee, and they're off. Their their spirits are lifted. Do they meet once a week or twice a week? How often do they meet? It's not a meeting as such. You can go whenever. It's, okay. It's, it's there. It's open. But Charles, it's very important for me to tell you that someone who instigated this whole thinking within me was David Bardas. When David Bardas, whose family, a very prominent Melbourne family, when David Bardas um, lost Sports Girl, effectively, that's that's what happened. Um, he he his wife, uh, a very prominent philanthropist uh, from the Smorgan family said, look, you can't stay home. you got to go. So he's, he had his little studio out the back. And he, the term he had coined was home for lunch. So when you're home for lunch as a retired man, it drives people crazy, drives yourself crazy. And that's where I really learned to love this notion of being able to help men connect so they can share their stories with other men, you know. Yes, that, that is. I had opposition. That... I had opposition at council. Female Did councillors. You? Female wow. councillors would say, "Why would we support a men's shed? Where are the women? Well, women are natural talkers." Yes. Yes. We That's connect. So... We talk. You know, and we share. Yes. Yeah, so. Yeah. So. So that. You know, the, the, tell us some experiences because of all these years that you've done now with me, and David Bardis was a wonderful, wonderful man. He died last year, I think. Yes. And and he made he did make a great contribution to Melbourne. His father founded Sports Girl, and and you know his his daughter Belinda and his, his kids are also continuing that philanthropy. So give us some stories. So first of all, how old do you have to be to go to a men's shed? No age bar, no age bar at all. You just yeah, well, you can just walk in just, okay. as a student. Okay. You know, and that's one of the beauties of men's Melbourne Men's Shed. They actually encourage students to drop by. 
and find out, learn, share, because there's nothing greater than connection between an older, established Australian and a young Australian, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's, that exchange is fantastic. So give us some sense of so what ha- what happens from from this exchange because I've been in I've been a, a professional speaker a motivational speaker for thirty plus years and I was a lawyer before that and I'm a passion provocateur and I wear my red jacket because red is the color of passion so I've been in the mental health space for a long time so what's what why. You know what? What's the joyous experiences that you get from people from the men going to men's shed? I think I think as I said that connectedness, the fact that they can sit there, they don't have to be anyone, they don't have to be anything to anyone. They just sit there, they talk about their life over the past week or a few days. They share their problems, yeah. And, and in this presentation that I delivered to them, I talked about mental health. I talked about suicide because I've been there, Charles. You know, I, I, in 1996, I, I contemplated suicide and mm. um, had someone to talk to for one and a half hours and then realized, no, that's not the way. That's not the way to, to go about life. Wow. Well, so thank you, these- Beverly. Thank you for sharing that because I think that's, you know, people tend to look on people as successful as you as never having mental health dramas. You know, but you, but you know, it's, it's very credible, very creditable, not credible, very creditable of you that that you share that because I think it's it's, it's important. And I think now the stigma on mental health has disappeared. Would you agree? Absolutely. I have two nieces, uh, one niece and one nephew. And with serious mental health problems, they've got jobs, they work very, very hard. They have their tablets and all of that. I've never touched a tablet ever. But I, with my experience now, I find that lived experience of having contemplated, I can help them. I'm strengthened. I was strengthened by it. You know? And, and it, was what, it was one, one and a half hour conversation that sort of got you out of that out of that deep funk that spiraling thing yeah 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 that's that's so, a good that's that's spiraling that's right that that spiraling mm, idea mm. hey stop the spiraling then you know go ahead with it but stop the spiraling and then have have a vision of what comes next mm. you know i i want a little story about this little brown skinned girl in at, at the age of 13 i went to bed every night wearing a crown on my head what i wanted was to be a miss australia gosh that's at 13 at 13 oh how it took beautiful me 10 years to do that hmm. and i didn't want to be a miss australia because i thought i was really beautiful and whatever no i wanted to belong to this beautiful country i wanted that sense of belonging and that sense that I could then explain to others, have a vision, have do your visualizations before you go to bed at night and mm. really crave for that something, that one element that's going to really give you that the impetus to create whatever you want to make of yourself. And I think that's what's really, that's what I've done with my life. So where did you, where did you learn to do that? Because that's extraordinary. I wasn't doing that when I was, 13 and my parents were refugees like yours but i was born in australia you weren't where did you learn this idea of 
of 13 and putting a crown on your head. That's such a wonderful, you know, kinesthetic experience as well as mental. I think it's important to learn that this is about absorption. It's when you, it's a magnetic absorption. When you meet people like I did, like John Stoughton, Lady Joyce Sneddon, that acceptance that they gave me, I got a hold of that and it just seeped right through my veins. Mm. And I loved it. I loved every minute of that, you know? Mm. Yeah. And that is what gave me, kept my blood pumping and gave me that kind of inner strength to say, you know what? Doesn't matter whatever anyone says about the color of my skin or the size of my ankles, okay? I am just going to make it here in this country. And I did say that when we when we boarded, uh, when we alighted at uh, at Essendon Airport, I got to the top of the stairs, I looked and I could see this beautiful blue sky, wide open space. And as a 13-year-old with, you know, patent leather shoes on, freezing cold, a sleeveless dress, I said, I'm going to make it here. Oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful story. Now, one of the charities, uh, Men's Shed is Melbourne Men's Shed. Everybody, please check it out. I, I haven't got a website for Men's Shed, but I know there are websites around for local communities have them. So local, mm-hmm. your local municipality in Australia, I presume globally there are equivalents. So please check it out. And and ladies, if your men need, if your men need the Men's Shed, please push them, take them along there. Um, you also supported a man who I met two years after you arrived in Australia. So I met Father Bob Maguire in 1970, and I had dealings with him, you know, on and off at various stages throughout his life. Tell, Please tell our listeners and viewers about Bob Maguire and why you helped him. I had a love affair with Father Bob Maguire. I absolutely loved every single pore in his body. I love the fact that he could connect at such a deep level with my husband's son, my stepson, who has autism. You know, he'd look up to the boy, a big strapping young man, and he'd connect with him. I love the fact that Father Bob would walk out of head office and, g'day, g'day, yep, come and see me, $5, here we go, you know, I love the fact that his notion of communitarianism, that the community within which you live and you reap your rewards, it is the needy from that community that you need to help. Because then when you can see the benefits that you deliver through that help, that boosts you as well. You never want anything in return for what you do. Never. Never ask for anything in return. But can I tell you that when you see people succeed, survive, have their next meal at a table, um, you know, that's that's what lights up my life. And Father Bob did that for me. You know, he was just an amazing man. He wrote the foreword to my book, and it's a pretty gutsy foreword. <laughs> but, well, you know, well, I'd, well, I'd front well, up on a... We'll get, we'll get, I want to talk about your book, but... I'd but... Front, I just to front up on a Sunday to see him. And I'd invariably have some money with me. I'd say, Father, and he'd say, Mother. <laughs> I'd say, Father, what's the money? Where do you want it? And he'd, he'd say, I'd say, well, in the bank or in your pocket, top pocket. 
He'd say, what do you want for it? I said, I want nothing. Top pocket. And you know why I would put that in his top pocket? Because I know the minute he walked out that door, he would change that money into small notes and hand it out to those who needed it most. Mm. I yes, didn't there, need... there's no administration cost in, in converting your contribution to the benefit of those who needed it. Absolutely. I didn't need tax deductions. That wasn't what I was all about. I wanted to just ensure that he could co continue to do that which he did best, which is to the common man on the street, you know, the woman on the street, the child. So I'm, I, I was raised a Catholic. You were raised a Catholic. I was a Christian. I consider myself a Christian. I'm very concerned about what's happened with the Catholic Church. I'm very concerned about the current Pope. I have grave, grave doubts about Pope Francis. So give us a sense of, you know, I, Bob, Father Bob, as I said, I knew him for a long time, and I consider that the Catholic Church itself didn't treat him well. What was, you know, now that he's gone to God himself, <laughs> you know, what's what's your perspective on the treatment of Bob by the church? Treated harshly, misunderstood. There wasn't the time given to understand what a communitarian he was, you know. That church was, was his. Mm. He St. Peter's and St. Paul's in South Melbourne. And, and he used to answer that door no matter what time of the day or night it was. And I go back 35, 40 years with him, you know. And if it was food that you needed, if it was a smoke that you needed, a cigarette, well, that was what you needed. Mm. So he'd, he'd go to the till and, and get the money out. I have no problem with that because that is what true Christianity is about, you know giving to those who need the most at that particular time. So Father was always, always giving, very, very giving person. Uh, the limelight, he wanted the limelight for what it could do for his cause, for what he was promulgating, what he was promoting, what he was all about. And that was the beauty of it. And I think that that simplicity and that plainness about Father, you know, is, is, is what should live on. Um, and you asked Father, you know, what would you want? He said, nothing. Mm. Yeah. Yes, he didn't. He didn't want. He didn't want anything. And I'm I'm very critical of the church right around the world. Most churches, because they, you know, they shut down. They took the instructions from government, and Christ wouldn't have done that. Christ didn't do what government wanted. And so, as a as a freedom fighter, which is what I am. And TNT Radio is also fighting for freedom. I say I call on the church. I call on churches to priests to behave like Father Bob and to fight mm -hmm. for the people who need help. And your story, Beverly, of one conversation stopped you from being suicidal. I wonder how many lives Bob, you know, Father oh. Bob saved from these covers the the, the the steps that he took. Absolutely. I mean, you know, particularly with, with my, my stepson with autism, he'd have a very low day, a really bad day, and father would just get him out of it just like that, just by conversing, you know, just by, by sharing, by, by getting, me, getting Andre into the picture rather mm. than leading him out of the picture. And that was something that father did very, very well, you know. 
Yeah, that's a lot of lives. Now, tell us about your book. Here it is. Look, I'm, I'm, I, I have it beside my bed. You know, I'm, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Beverly, Beverly. Your is this your first book? Look at it. Is, look, it is my I, first. <laughs> don't, I, don't I look good with you? Your face beside <laughs> me. Look, you've got your face in stereo here on the screen now. <laughs> so, Pride. Tell us about this book, Pride Without Prejudice, and why you've called it that, and give us a sense of it because people should buy this book. It's a great story. I've read it. So I, I talked about my time at Elwood High School, which was my best, the best three years of my life. But then my parents, of course, you come to Australia to, to, for a better life. And uh, they'd raised a deposit for a house. And that house happened to be in Springvale. And so I had to relocate to Springvale High School. I was very sad. And I did uh, year five, uh, form five and form six at Springvale High. But unbeknownst to me, um, Salon, as it was known then, was little known. Kids didn't know where, what, how Salon was. All they knew was Timor and Vietnam. They didn't know Salon. So to them, the, the, the boys in particular, I was, I was an outcast because primarily they would ask me out on a Saturday night and I would, wasn't allowed out by my parents. You know, I had strict parents. So I'd say, no, I can't. I'm sorry, you know, and I'm too scared anyway. So as a six, 15, 16-year-old, um, I got abused racially. I was called a boom. I was asked where my, you know, whether the corroboree went well on a Saturday night. I was asked if I'd brought my boomerang to school but none of that really upset me. Mm. You know, it, it, it went deep down. It obviously upset me. But on the surface, I thought, no, I'm, I'm just going to listen to this and I'm going to try and work out my own path. And that's what I tell international students in Australia, you know. Yes, give us a sense today it's of what it's like for these. In because I'm, I'm so impressed that you continue to do this work. I mean, you've officially retired, but you're working as hard as ever. You know, do, are they have, do they have a different experience to what you had? Look, there are some kids who say to me, there is around this dinner table, Beverly, among your friends, there are some who are racist towards me, meaning themselves. And I'd say, hang on, they are all my friends. I'm no different to you. So why don't you think about this? Ignoring the feelings that you might have at that moment stepping out of that skin and really reaching out to them. So the whiter the person is, the more you reach out and the more you actually get to know because fear comes in all sorts of ways. Fear can also be jealousy at times. You know, let's face it, I mean, you know, it's pretty exotic. You know, young women from India, Sri Lanka, Places like that are very exotic looking, you know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm, and, as I tell my as I tell my wife Julie, you know, I'm in love with Bollywood, with Bollywood stars, with female Bollywood stars. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So they listen to me, and and three or four of them have actually met the challenge, and gone home and thought, yes, get in front of the mirror. I say to them, repeat your affirmations. Go to bed, visualize, and then wake up the next morning and off you go. Mm, that's and beautiful. don't be defeated. Just don't be defeated by the naysayers. 
In fact, on my website, there's a video that I say, the naysayers were those I actually, you know, I, I, I rose above them. Mm. Yeah. The, and you made an interesting comment there. We've got, we've got to go to a break in a moment. Um, but but you made an interesting comment on fear, and we'll, we will unpack that because because there's a crucial aspect of fear and mental health. And what's your website, Beverly, so that people can check it out? It's beverlypinder.com. Beautiful. Beverlypinder.com, everybody. Check out the website. We've got to go to these messages, and we'll be back shortly. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. you got to love the left-wing activists posing as journalists all over the media who go after Trump, and 99% of them, you figure, really mean it. And then there's Joy Reid, who exposed herself on a hot MSNBC microphone. Congressional Republicans love to latch on to President Biden and Democrats' successful policies and take credit for things they didn't do, while tying themselves into pretzels to do nothing for the American people for the sake of Donald Trump. Case in point, fixing what they say is a crisis at the border. With congressional negotiators continuing work on a bipartisan deal to tie border policy changes to funding for Ukraine. Over the weekend, President Biden said he's ready to take action if Congress is serious about solving the border issue. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Starting another fucking war. <laughs> First and foremost, rule number one in broadcasting, always assume a mic is hot. She was a fool to assume that the mic was off. Number two, I guess she really doesn't like Joe Biden that much. If she said he's going to start another effing war, huh, I guess even leftist Joe Biden isn't leftist enough for radical Joy Reid. Thanks to the hot mic, we know that. And don't forget, catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. My dad was a farmer. The guy was bigger than life. He wasn't someone that liked to show his emotion or liked to show when he was struggling, but we all struggle. I want to show emotion to my kids. It's something that brings me so much joy and I want them to see me working through things. Allow your kids to know that it's okay to struggle, that even dad doesn't know the answer sometimes, but we're gonna figure it out together. Exploring solutions to the mental health crisis. This is Mind Medicine on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome. Back to the show. My guest is Beverly Pinder this hour. Great to have you with us, whether you're watching live or watching a recording. Before the break, we talked about racism, which is a word that's thrown about. And Beverly, it seems to me, and you talked about the word fear. So these international students have this fear. And so my philosophy around this whole program, so that people get really clear on it, is that fear comes from your mind. Love comes from your soul, from your spirit, from your heart. And so we, we live on this spectrum between fear and love. And there's a beautiful line in the Bible that says, perfect love casts out all fear. And I think you are testimony, you are practical testimony, and as, as is your book, of this balance between because you were so grateful you came came from a spiritual space you were grateful to come to australia your gratitude overcame the fear that's what i 
that's what I get from what you're sharing with us. And that's that, and that's right, absolutely. And and that's what I say to these students as well, these international students whom I kind of have conversations with. You know, first you've got to feel that gratitude for being able to come here and study. I mean, we're giving them golden opportunity. This is a golden opportunity. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Australia was 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 um, was known as the land of milk and honey in the '60s, and that was what my parents came for—the milk and the honey. And I wasn't going to let them down, you know. And and I knew that the average Australian kid didn't know that, didn't know that Australia really wanted us. It wanted us because it needed migration. But then it needed people like like myself to really get it, get in there and get our hands dirty, but also feel a part of this community. And that's why I say without prejudice, because I I believe that if you harbour if you keep harboring that you have there's racism and that you are prejudiced, being prejudiced against or whatever, that is what you'll get. Nice. You know? Yep. So, absolutely. So just just rise above it and, and actually feel don't feel superior, but feel what is the gift that I can give this person? What can I deliver to this person so he or she understands better, not just me, but the world. And I, I've just come from a, a beautiful lunch, Charles. Um, it was uh, Gerald Ryan, a former Malison's partner. Good friend of mine. Malison, I'm, Stephen I'm, Jakes. I did yes. their PR for 20 years. And Gerald's turned 75. And one of his basic tenets is love one another. Mm. And that's, and you know, Jesus Christ washed the feet of the ordinary man. And I think that is what we need to do. We need yes, to I, look... I, I think that's very wise. In fact, Gerald calls himself G these days, as you know. So he, his artistic sign-off is G Ryan, and his son Charlie Ryan is also an artist. So that's right, G, he does talk about loving one another. And in the context of the wars that are going on, and I mean, coming from Sri Lanka, Ceylon, as you did, and the Tamil War for 30 years, you know, it seems... I, I, I often talk about a wonderful video that's available on the internet called All Wars Are Bankers' Wars. And so this, this you know, the, the choice is love one another or, or fight wars manipulated by bankers because people make money out of this. Now, the challenge, however, of Christianity, and I wonder how you handle it, I think you do very well, the challenge is loving people who don't do what you want them to do or loving people who are different or loving people who are different it's a tough you know, call yep. it doesn't matter about the shape of your eyes the color of your skin i went to school charles my best friends were hindus tamils buddhists jews jews not in salon i hadn't but oh, in sorry school, in... yeah sorry back in salon yeah okay. mm -hmm. muslims they're still today i've got five very good friends from Salon and then I met my Jewish you know contingent here uh, in Australia and and I I kind of say well we used to sit next to each other eat from each other's little Billy Billy tin you know whatever it's called Tiffin or whatever um, pack and and you, you don't see color you don't see difference you don't you know what is difference I mean difference is that which you are not able to deal with. Beautiful. Yeah. 
They're beautifully put. Difference is what you are not able to deal with. So let's so wise wise words because it is my considered view that humanity uniting will beat the global the globalist agenda which is designed not for sovereignty not for freedom but for enslavement so human beings uniting against this and not having these fights is the way we win this war now let's come back then that's at a global level at a local level beverly i'm I used to think that local government did not matter. I now, because of Bob, what Father Bob Maguire taught us of local action, I'm now seeing how crucially important action at local government is. Give us your perspective on, on, the, on the need for good people to be involved in local councils rather than just saying it doesn't matter. Unfortunately, Charles, we all know that local government does attract those who are politically um, inclined in terms of their their, their parties um, and 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 are single-minded in what they want to get from being on that council for four, eight, twelve, eighteen years. You know, I think for a start, it's not a job. It's not a job. You've got to hand the baton over now that is that that is critical and and in on at a micro level father bob's wisdom and philosophy can be carried out so long as you have champions within local government who are absolutely behind that cause or that way of thinking You've got to be able to have heart. And I, I often said when I was in, in, uh, at the city of Melbourne, somehow being a counsellor, and I fought it very hard, it, it kind of diminished my, my, my charitable kind of feelings because you're constantly battling. You're constantly battling to get something through, to get 10 other people to understand what you're talking about. You know, to get them to really think through a COVID situation and our international students were really suffering. But not just at COVID, not just in March 2020, I was saying it before that. We need to be doing more for international students. We be, need to be doing more for, for the people on the streets, our 249. At the time, we had 249 or 315 people sleeping on our streets in the city of Melbourne. Yeah. Yep. But unfortunately, bureaucracy bogs it all down and slows it down. So the, the, the secret would be how do you get within that local government kind of um, uh, precinct, how do you dig deep but dig, dig really through it and have that micro response to, to homelessness, say, for example, or safety of our children, I mean, you know, we've had some disastrous things happen in our local councils in Melbourne, in Glen Ira, for example, where that child was ab abducted. That should never have happened. Mm. Yeah. But how do we, how do we, how, how do we set about thinking how to look after our children? So what's your sense, what's your sense of what advice would you give to people about how we can hold see the issue with local councils is helping helping people locally versus what many left-wing councils are doing in in victoria 
of driving LGBTQI, FU, whatever you letters you want, and so and so all of this effort work goes into this political journey. And I'm my view. My I know a lot of people. My view is that a majority of residents disengage rather than having this political fight. I think that's a problem. We're paying a price so that the money in Melbourne City Council, but also I'm in the city of Monash, big city. Of, you know, they spend vast amounts of money on politically correct woke causes. Hmm. I think I think that's absolutely right. I think more more needs to be done to actually champion causes. And when you be, when you are are elected as a council, you've got to walk the streets. Solomon Liu said to me 30-odd years ago, you know, one of the things he did was he walked. He walked the floors at Coles. He didn't just drop by and, and you know, he actually knew what was going on at every Coles centre or Coles shopping um, precinct around Australia. You've got to do the walking. You've got to Go down to Docklands, you've got to go down to wherever your precinct is and talk to people and feel, feel what needs to be done, you know. And, yes, and that's and, and that's, that's essential. Mm, that's, yeah, and that's that what I very, used to do. That's very, very wise. So councillors need to be out on the street. And and I think you know, my observation would be, because we're running out, we're fast running out of time. My observation would be that we have to go to council meetings. We have to understand what's happening at these monthly meetings. Now, Beverly, your book is Pride Without Prejudice. It's available from Wilkinson Publishing. I presume it's available at Amazon, Booktopia. It is, yes. But I do want to mention, Charles, very quickly talking about mind-body medicine, the National Institute of Integrative Medicine and Professor Sali, because there is one man there who has championed the cause of, you know, mind-body and, and, you know, he, he's one who always says the doctors are prescription scribes. That's all they are. And I think that's really important that we, we think more about the medicines we take, the supplements we take, and how we actually stay youthful, stay on top of this whole, this whole world that's crumbling. Yes, I think that's a great reminder, everybody. The National Institute of Integrative Medicine, I think the website is nim.com. Dot com n-i-m.com.au correct please check it out everybody that that it's integrative medicine it's mental and physical and spiritual mm, solutions absolutely. for health so beverly you have been a wonderful contributor to victoria you you talk about this nonsense about retiring it is my considered view that retirement is an unnatural act Human beings are not meant to retire. All that you've done is to change. And my definition of retirement is retirement Retirement is when you cease to make a meaningful contribution. You've made a wonderful contribution. I look forward to working with you to continue to make contributions to Australia. Congratulations on being properly recognised for what you have done. And everybody, if you need help, Beverly Pinder is the, is the person to speak to. Thank you for joining us. And everybody else, thank you for being with us. Um, if you want me to talk about any items, charles at coves.com. Check out my show. It's up to episode 187, The Charles Coves Show, on YouTube, on Rumble. Remember, do not do what government tells you to do. Listen to your own judgment and take Beverly's advice 
and keep giving yourself those affirmations and visualizations that says, I know my truth. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to be passionate about my freedom and about where Australia can go. Thanks for being with us. Have a wonderful week. Embrace the challenges. And while you do that, be happy and you won't have mental health problems. Bye for now. Thank you, Beverly.